This is Business Breakdowns. Business Breakdowns is a series of conversations with investors and operators diving deep into a single business. For each business, we explore its history, its business model, its competitive advantages, and what makes it tick. We believe every business has lessons and secrets that investors and operators can learn from, and we are here to bring them to you. To find more episodes of Breakdowns, check out joincolossus.com. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions. Hosts, podcast guests, their employers, or affiliates may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. I am Zach Fuss, an investor at Evernet Capital, and today I am joined by Yaniv Suisa to break down the private company Databricks. Grown out of a UC Berkeley research lab in 2013, Databricks has grown rapidly, and after 50% growth this summer, it was rumored to have last raised at a $43 billion valuation. In the most simple terms, Databricks provides tools for ingesting, transforming, and analyzing large sets of data from multiple sources in multiple formats in order to inform business and engineering decisions. Databricks is on a crash course with Snowflake to amass market share. In this conversation, we explore the nuances of structured and unstructured data, discuss data lakes, and what it entails to get Hadooped. We hope you enjoy this conversation. Yaniv, thank you for joining us to break down Databricks, a business that's increasingly well-known, notoriously for its increasing capital raises. But I thought it'd be interesting to kick this conversation off with a very basic explainer of what the business is and why its success has been so timely in today's environment. Databricks is a data processing platform. But what does that mean? So there are two kinds of data that we can talk about here. There's what we call structured data and unstructured data. So structured data is data that's organized and formatted in a predictable way. These are the things stored in databases and spreadsheets. So it's really easy to search, process, analyze. You think of your course schedule from college. It has the name, the professor, the time, the location, and it's all formatted in a very clear column-by-column structured way. So it's easy to analyze. You could think of it as almost creating the Dewey Decimal System for data back when we had libraries. Then you've got unstructured data on the other side. Unstructured data is where you have a rapidly evolving environment. So things are flying at you all the time. Data is always being produced. You don't just want to look at historical data. You want to look at things that are happening as you're trying to make a decision. So that's the movement-based data or data that's not in a very neat set of columns and spreadsheets. A good example would be social media. You have text, you have images, you have video. Nothing's in a specific standard structure. So it's hard to extract meaning unless you have a unique algorithm or expertise in managing unstructured data. So Databricks started in the unstructured data world. They made unstructured data accessible to businesses and companies. And Snowflake started in the structured world. So they were helping with the spreadsheets and organized databases, looking for information from past pieces of data that you've collected. And now they both do both. So that's where Databricks plays in this world. So I think to best bring this to home for the audience, if you can offer some real-world examples of how their customers use the product, I think it will really help us to better relate to what the business does. 
Think about any manufacturing facility. So Databricks, for example, they work with Honeywell, they work with some of the big healthcare pharmaceutical companies. What are those companies doing? They are producing things in real time on complex manufacturing lines. So you have the inputs and the weight and the amount of the inputs, and you have to refine the temperature at which they're being heated and manipulated. And then you've got to make sure that the quality is good for each of them and they have the right amount of this or that and that they're packaged properly. And to do that, you need to not only take the data while it's happening from the machines, you also need to take data from sensors that exist in your manufacturing facility. You want to use the video surveillance of the lines and the people working on it to make smart decisions. And so in that case, something like Databricks that can process in that real-time unstructured streaming data is really powerful. Another example would be in the financial world. So if you take something like any of the big banks that you bank with, Bank of America, JP Morgan, Chase, etc., they're worried about fraud as one of the many things they care about. And it's not useful for me to know that this fraud was committed after it's already happened. What's useful for me to know is these things are being changed and we're seeing these things happening or these qualities coming through on this user right now that suggest threat so that you can in real time make a decision. And then the last one I would give that I think is probably most relatable are recommendation systems. So in the consumer world, both for the brands themselves and for individuals, So Amazon has this on their website. They have their own recommendation system. But imagine, and this is what Databricks does for customers and agencies, imagine being able to say, all right, well, you're reviewing this right now in real time on this website or in this particular ecosystem or information platform. And I can then make decisions on which ad to serve you or what to recommend in real time while you're doing that when you're most likely to act on something. Similarly, That's a real generator of revenue for some enterprise companies because they can then say to brands that want to do that advertising, I in real time have this. I can analyze in real time that this is your best opportunity to win this potential buyer. How much are you going to pay me? And they're going to pay a lot higher price for something like that because it should have a higher hit rate. And the way you know that is because of that unstructured streaming real-time data. And then conversely... In a world where Databricks and Snowflake do not exist, how did people handle these problems historically? So historically, there wasn't this ability to analyze streaming data. So what you would do is you would organize the data that you had. You'd have to organize it first in those files or in those libraries. And then you'd have to go and like your student used to do research way back when, you'd have to go in and read and take out the analytics to understand what insights would be helpful to you. And so everything was historical, but the ability to do things in real time is particularly important. And it's becoming more important and has accelerated because of the environment we're in, in terms of where software is now in the enterprise space. COVID helped this a lot, but it was already a trajectory that was going somewhere. Companies more and more, all kinds of companies, not just Cisco and Amazon, but also automotive companies and manufacturing companies and logistics companies, energy companies, they're all using data to make decisions in real time. So the ability to do that is becoming more and more important. And that is really the fundamental revolution that Databricks ushered into the market. And you touched on it there, but in terms of the relevance of this business, clearly there was something timely 
and there's a reason that the business has inflected in the case that it has. Are there more concrete examples of what happened over the last, call it, 36 months that really brought this product to bear? I think there are two pieces to what made Databricks accelerate so significantly in the most recent timeframe. Apart from inventing streaming analytics, why is it so much more important now? One of those is as you have data in distributed places and coming from more and more locations, coming from your toaster oven and coming from the field of the rails for a train going down the tracks, as you have that data coming from more and more places, you need to be able to process it in a meaningful, quick way to make those decisions. And we've seen these multiple industries just jump on this bandwagon faster and faster, trying to implement software in an effective way. And I think that's been particularly important during the COVID era and during the supply chain issues, because the focus on increasing efficiency and performance, which inherently requires real-time decision-making in a lot of these industries, became particularly important during that time. The other thing that I think is probably most on people's mind is the expansion of AI. So AI has always existed, but it's now in everybody's day-to-day lingo. And I would argue everybody's using it, or most people are using it now day-to-day, and that will only increase. So things like visual identification, like the facial recognition technology that came out, chat GPT, These all are not possible if you can't analyze unstructured data in real time. And that's why Databricks is so exciting. It's their core strength. They were born out of that space. So this streaming data where data is coming in and you're able to look at it instead of having to put it into a spreadsheet or a library book and then go look at it is really powerful. If you would ask ChatGPT a question and they would say, give me a moment and then I could tell you an hour from now, it wouldn't be that exciting. But with AI, you could do it in real time. And you could only do it in real time through things like Databricks. And then how exactly does the revenue model work here? Just take us through the basic economics of how you convert that revenue into bottom line. The way they make money is a fewfold. So they charge by usage down to increments that are as small as a second. And it's a pay-as-you-go model. And they have different products. So the first product is the analytics, the streaming analytics part of things, which is your basic Apache Spark solution set. I shouldn't say basic, it's very advanced, but that's their core where they started. They've built the lake house, which allows you to have the best of all worlds. That's where they started actually directly competing with Snowflake. So that was where you could take structured data and unstructured data and use it together. So that's another way they make money. That's one of their products. And then I'd say the third product, and they have some others, but these are the big ones. And I should also say that second product is growing incredibly quickly. In just 18 months, it went from zero to over 200 million in revenue. And then the third product is this new product that came with the acquisition of Mosaic as part of this new product, is the ability to run AI models and use them with your own internal proprietary data at an enterprise to be very effective. And that's the third product from which they gain revenue. And it's all based on how much you use. And then when people start to talk about the competitive advantages and the growth of Databricks, it generally invites questions about the business and how it compares to Snowflake. So at a basic level, what are the differentiating factors? Do companies generally use one or the other or both? How does Snowflake fit into the equation? So interestingly, they started very different, came to be very similar and I think now are diverging again. So they started, as we talked about earlier, that distinction between structured and unstructured. 
Databricks started as the unstructured streaming, so in those real-time environments, and Snowflake started in structured environment. They then came together. Even just a year or two ago, their products were pretty similar from a functional perspective. Some were better here on the margins for this or that, but it was hard to really distinguish them completely, except for maybe the open platform. Of course, Databricks was much stronger on the unstructured side, and Snowflake is much stronger on the structured side. Databricks then built its lakehouse concept with Delta and put both together. Snowflake has tried to put both together by partnering with folks. What distinguishes them going forward, however, is this AI space that everyone is thinking about and we've talked a little bit about today. So what that does is really start to distinguish the two companies because AI fundamentally requires unstructured data analytics which is by far Databricks' strongest muscle, and they have the strongest muscle in the industry for that as well, whereas Snowflake does not come from that world. So I think you'll increasingly see them as being separate entities, whereas Snowflake becomes more of an underlying infrastructure like AWS or Microsoft has for analyzing those files and structured historical data, where you might be able to do some of the Databricks type of things But really, if you want to do things in real time, you're going to invest in purchasing Databricks' product. And then from the perspective of the infrastructure layer, thinking through the value chain here, Google, Amazon Web Services, Azure, Microsoft, how are they symbiotic versus competitive with someone like Databricks? So I think they'd love to be competitive, but they have not taken that approach. And I don't think they could achieve it effectively, to be honest but they have the marketplace approach, as does Databricks. They're the underlying infrastructure. They're that cloud that most companies are on. So they're that cloud infrastructure. And then on top of that, you wanna be able to do things beyond just buying that infrastructure. And instead of them building everything on their own, they've taken the approach of building a marketplace where lots of people can be on their platform. So you can go, just like you go to the supermarket and there's all kinds of brands and all kinds of products you could buy for any different particular use. Same with Amazon and Microsoft. And by the way, they're both partners with both Snowflake and Databricks. So I expect, although people talk about it as them being the competitive models, I actually think Databricks and Snowflake are more of a challenge to Microsoft and Amazon longer term than they are really head-to-head competing or going to be able to compete with one another. And the reason for that is things like Databricks and Snowflake allow you to use your underlying infrastructure more effectively, faster and more effectively, which presumably Microsoft and Amazon wouldn't like because that means you're using less of them. But what they're betting on and what we at SineWave bet on by investing in Databricks is that the more you enable people to use data and use these solutions effectively, you're going to compensate for the efficiency by increasing the market size. So there will be, maybe the processing will be more efficient, but there will be a lot more of it. And in order to use Databricks and Snowflake, you're always going to need underlying that Microsoft and Amazon. So I think they're much more copacetic than they are competitive. So to the extent that you can share, how big is this business today? Just to get a better appreciation for how it compares to some of the large publicly traded companies in their space. So if we look at Databricks business versus some of the other competitors out there, and I'll give you their numbers in particular, they have tens of thousands of customers, 1,200 partners or more now. They have multiple products like we talked about. So they have many different product lines for the different areas that we also discussed earlier. They allow you to share data 
which again is a new element called Delta sharing that they've added that I think will become another revenue stream for them. And their margins are very high. So as software margins should be, their margins are 85%. So think about Snowflake's margins, which are around 56% as a comparable. The other thing with Snowflake's margins or revenue is some of their revenue is spent and goes back to AWS for the hardware component that underlies Snowflake. With Databricks, they don't have that. However, they may add that over time. And I think that is actually their intent. So in terms of the comparison, Snowflake is the closest. It's at a 19x multiple. If you look at Databricks' recent round, it about pegs them there. And so I think that those are the closest, but you can see where their growth is. It's just, there's a lot of talk about them going public. And I think the time that that happens is when investors are hungry again for growth. Because everything about Databricks' growth stream, number of customers, depth of customers. So Databricks actually has, I think it's over 300 customers now that spend over a million dollars. So you can see the entrenchment that's really important for a company. When the hunger for that growth, those kind of margins with that kind of growth rate, with that revenue, with that entrenchment comes back to the market, it should have never left. But right now it's not so much there. When that comes back, Databricks will be incredibly successful in the public market space as well. And then just to give the audience the appreciation for scale, a Fortune 500 company that's a customer of Databricks, it's a usage-based model and we understand there's not perfect information, but approximately how much are they spending on a product like this a year and how much could they be spending? Fortune 500 companies are spending, once they've used Databricks and tried it for a little bit and decided this is what we're going to use, they are definitely using in the seven figures, so in your millions. And many of them, especially in that size company, in the double-digit millions. There are no, I don't think, three-digit million customers, but there are definitely one and two-digit million customers. And the key piece for a business model is that that continues to grow within each customer. Ultimate size really depends on the breadth of the company and where they deploy the analytics. At the end of the day, if AI takes off, these companies could be multiple 10 to double digits of revenue for Databricks each. It, particularly if that company is using it in real time often for whatever process they're doing or whatever targeting they're trying to do of customers, et cetera, et cetera, like we've spoken about. This is the key analysis that a customer does when they buy Databricks. Does the increase in efficiency and insight, not just efficiency from using those underlying resources less because I have this pay-as-you-go model, but also the efficiency in making decisions and operating my business. If Databricks can continue to always increase that efficiency and value, then customers will always pay for it because it lowers costs and increases performance. And at the end of the day, it actually saves them money. And that's the whole business model at the end of the day. So now that we've set the stage for what the business is today, and we'll talk about some of the future implications, I thought it'd be interesting to rewind to a little bit about the founding story, why that's relevant in the data world and the evolution and origins of Spark itself, just to better contextualize everything that came to be over the course of a business that's not that old at this point. Sure. Databricks was originally founded in 2009. That's when Spark really came to light and they built their own proprietary Spark on top of the existing platform. And in 2013 is when we invested in the company. The Spark technology, the open source platform, was founded out of Berkeley. So Jan Stoika, who is a professor there, and his laboratory, specifically the technologist who's CTO at Databricks, Matei Zaharia, is the one who created Databricks in coordination with Jan and several of the other team members. In fact, it was a group of, I'd say, seven or so 
don't want to not give everyone credit, but it was around seven or eight or so that are considered the founders of Databricks and of Spark. And all seven of those are still executives at the company. So from that origin, it was this open source community. And what an open source community does is it's free. It allows for free software. It allows for all kinds of developers to contribute to that software, to make it better, to make the applications better. And that was what they really created from the lab at Berkeley. When Databricks became a company, they decided to offer something above and beyond that. So open source has some pros and cons. What Databricks decided to do, and this is something that I can't think of any other company that has done this effectively. Several have tried, like Red Hat tried and others tried, but very few have been able to create their own version of this open source platform like Databricks did. So they built their own version of Spark. And the reason for that was that they could allow enterprises to use the Spark capabilities or the best of the Spark capabilities in a controlled environment. So they have this nice mix. And that's where Databricks came to existence. A cool, funny thing about it is there's no competitive advantage in open source because it's for everybody. That's the premise of it. But the free piece was actually something that Databricks took advantage of, even when it created its own version and brought some of that open source stuff into a proprietary solution set. Because what they were able to do is make Spark more efficient, so faster performance, lower cost, more effective. All of those increases in performance, whatever synonyms you want to use, they drove the technology so far ahead of where everything else was. And they were able to reduce the cost as a result of the underlying hardware required to run these analytics. So the hardware paying AWS for cloud, paying Microsoft for cloud, they were able to reduce the cost of that so significantly that essentially the software didn't only become free, but it was almost like you were making money because you were spending so much less on these infrastructures. So out of curiosity, at what point did the success of the business become apparent to you in that you became interested and were able to help support their growth? So at SignWay, we're a very thesis-driven fund, and we had a thesis for a long time one, how to enable the use of streaming analytics effectively, but also how to put that into a business in a way that really drove turn on investment for a customer. At the end of the day, a customer cares about whether it can do something that reduces its cost or increases its performance, i.e. its revenue. At the time that we were monitoring Databricks, there were two or three things that I think were most compelling. Obviously, the open source community was growing like crazy, and this team was the team to bet on since they built the open source community in the first place. If you were going to layer on an enterprise solution on top of the open source technology, their revenue was growing at an exponential rate. VCs talk about looking for companies like this all day long, and this was at a 149% growth rate at the time. They had incredibly strong usage. I think it was 40% of their customers exceeded their memory quota for an early stage company. So that was really compelling. And I think it goes to the fact that it was saving so much money for people. And it was having such an impact on performance for these businesses. And of course, they had thousands of enterprises. I'll give you a little sneaky piece of data that everyone probably forgets now, or maybe only the internals knew. But there was also an attempt to acquire them back then for a billion dollars. So it was a pretty good bet either way, because we knew where we would house them uh, if anything went wrong. And how important is the partner ecosystem to the continued growth and trajectory of the business? And what are some of the key partnerships that have helped fuel that growth that's so attractive? So this was incredibly crucial to Databricks. So when we came in at SineWave, actually, back then, 
one of the things we helped them with was not only building their public sector vertical, which is hundreds of millions of dollars for them and very sticky, but we also helped them build customer partnership channels. So as an example, there's a few there, one's IBM and others Deloitte, but I'll use Deloitte as the example. Deloitte has a partnership with Databricks. So it gives them a channel partnership approach. All of Deloitte's customers, by training various folks at Deloitte, all of Deloitte's customers can now deploy Databricks to make smart decisions. So it really increased their sales capacity, even as a small company, by partnering with a lot of these companies early on. The second partnership part of it is they opened up the model. If Databricks had stayed Spark only, I think it would not have had the potential or been as big as it is now. By allowing other kinds of analytical tools to be used on the same platform, they became the one-stop shop for everything. Why go to anywhere else when you could just come to Databricks and see everything? Why go to any airline's website when you could go to Kayak and see everything? Same situation where they became this democratized platform that everybody could just go to for their analytics. And it was effective with big customers. So they knew how to get in with enterprises, show them results and drive revenue. So that was the other key piece. And you see the third part of that, I think, is when they decided not only to be democratic in terms of analytical tools, but also to broaden the platform across the different pieces of an analytics structure at a company. So as we talked about the warehouse or the structured data that people have been using forever, what they now call Lakehouse, which integrates that warehouse with the streaming data, which Databricks is famous for having enabled at companies. And now the most important one, I would argue, for their growth going forward is the AI LLMs and all of the different models. So interestingly, open AI is not so open. You're not allowed to use their models for anything commercial. There's actually some very specific restrictions on it. Whereas Databricks allows all different kinds of models to be used on their platform for commercial execution and usage, allow you to integrate it with your proprietary data in a smart way. And so that, I think, is their next big growth trajectory and an important decision in partnering with all of the people who provide these different models. And actually, they allow you to build your own, too. So this massive revenue opportunity doesn't really come out of nowhere. Of course, your team can create a new market and create a wider TAM. What legacy solutions are they disintermediating or replacing in their growth? So very early on, it was displacing Cloudera. Cloudera had been built on Hadoop, great for structured data, great for data in your file folder like we talked about, not so great for real-time running at you at all from all front streaming data. So I think Cloudera was the biggest company at the time for data and for infrastructure in the cloud, and Databricks overtook that. So that was in the early stages. Now, I would think of them as not displacing Microsoft and Amazon, but providing the value-added layer on top of Microsoft and Amazon. So I've learned through my research on this one that being Hadooped is something you want to avoid in the world of data analytics and software. Cloudera was a major player in the space, still significant, but less relevant today. Just help me through that backstory and bringing our audience up to speed on what being Hadoop means and what happened there. Well, when we first invested in Databricks, Cloudera had just gone public, was growing like crazy, and everyone was locked into Cloudera. They were the biggest data processing framework out there based on Hadoop. Similarly, like Databricks is based on Spark's technology. But they differ in how they handle data. So Hadoop does something called batch processing. That's how they analyze data. And you could think of it as organizing library books one at a time. 
So one at a time, you're putting these things into systems and being able to analyze them. What Databricks did to displace Hadoop is they invented the ability or accelerated the ability to do in-memory processing. That processing is much faster, much more versatile. So it's like a librarian being able to scan and sort entire bookshelves and the information within all of those books all at once. So that has a few key elements that I think Cloudera is still a great big company, but has left Cloudera behind a little bit from where Databricks has succeeded and taken over. It's the speed, it's the versatility, that democratizing ability to use multiple platforms within Databricks. It's much easier to use. It's cost efficient without being locked into anything. And it's got that real time piece. Again, the thing that makes Databricks so exciting is this data in movement, making decisions off of data in real time. It's the holy grail. We hadn't been able to do that before. Cloudera, that was not their bailiwick. That's not what they were built on. Databricks created that industry. And now it is the standard for any decision making based on data. So from a business analysis perspective, just thinking through the switching costs associated with moving from one data provider to another, it begins running multiple workloads in a data warehouse or data lake. Presumably, it's very difficult to then switch to another provider, multi-cloud making that switch even more difficult. And then are there network effects associated maybe internally or externally in how you work with partners or internal teams that further entrench these products when customers start to use them? So this is the big question, Zach, you got right at it. We think about this at SineWave when we think about Databricks' trajectory all the time. So this is a race to the customers to a large extent. And you think about any human being, when you start using a tool in a meaningful way and you onboard onto something, all of your data or all of your developers in a meaningful way are using this same technology, it's a race to the customer because changing that is hard. So when customers are making a decision between Databricks and Snowflakes, they're making a multi-generational decision to some extent. And that's why you saw Databricks a few years ago. I remember we pushed them and they went on a massive hiring spree. It scared the hell out of Snowflake people because we have a few Snowflake execs who are in our fund and they were scared (laughs) because Databricks was just running at everyone because they recognized this early. If we can get you in, it's sticky. Those are network effects to the point that you made. But it will change a little bit with AI. I think there will have to be a force function where once AI is prime time and ready for enterprise deployment in real ways, there will be a function that requires that companies start to use that or they're going to lose their competitive edge. And Databricks allows that. And I don't see the others stepping up in the way that's necessary. I really think that that is where, even if you're on Snowflake, If you want to take advantage of this new revolution in technology, you're going to have to use Databricks at the end of the day. And the streaming analytics technology, that the capacity that Databricks built for that and the tool sets that they have for governance, for security, for integration, they're just far beyond what these other companies have. And I think that will break some of these sticky network effects that other companies are relying on. How successful have these businesses been in breaking into these legacy regulated industries like financial services or insurance, where there is tons of data, there's tons of analytics, but they're typically not on the leading edge of technology adoption and what opportunities that present for the businesses? So this is why I have a job. So at SignWave, we invest early stage and we help open up those verticals. We call them the high assurance verticals. And the public sector where me and some of my team come from, we have commercial VC and public sector folks, but 
being able to article can be very powerful for a company. And the government is the last adopter of everything. So if you're thinking about the slowest moving beast, in many respects, that's the place to look. So how do you get them in and how do you mobilize so that you can really tap those massive revenue streams? Because some of these entrenched customers and enterprises, commercial and public sector, are the biggest spenders in the world. And also getting those customers gives you a huge advantage from a brand perspective and it's kind of a snowball. So what did we do? Early on, one of the things we did with Databricks, when we first joined Databricks, we actually had found out about Databricks and their round because they were trying to do a deal with the public sector at the time. And both the public sector and the VCs who were earlier in Databricks than us, it was Andreessen at the time, said, you should talk to SignWave because they can help you figure this out. And what did that mean? That meant thinking about what are the actual use cases that can be deployed now safely, reliably for these customers? And what has the least friction? So at the time, Databricks was on Amazon only. And we pushed them very hard to move as quickly as possible to Microsoft because Microsoft had a security level that Amazon did not have. They were entrenched in ways that Amazon was not yet on the enterprise side. And so it was a very natural leap for someone to work with something built on Microsoft versus working with something on Amazon, because then you'd be making two new choices at the same time, instead of just one incrementally new choice. And this is where that democratization piece comes in. If you're familiar with something, it's almost 100% certain that it works with Databricks. So making that leap to Databricks is making a leap to the Datalytics marketplace not just a leap to Databricks itself. And it's also not locking you in to Databricks itself. So that is how you help customers get over the hump. You give them something familiar so they're not necessarily changing the way they do their business. They're just changing the insights that they get from their business. So given the topic of this conversation and the references you've made to machine learning, artificial intelligence, and how these LLM models are impacting the business, Can you just provide a basic overview on why they are so impactful to the product market fit within Databricks? Yes, I think that Mosaic was really Databricks' foray into this, or maybe a big statement on that we're going to own AI and these models and machine learning. Machine learning, they've already had. That comes from the streaming analytics piece, the data science piece. But certainly the AI component is newer, as we all know. And what's important about integrating AI is it needs for a business, for an enterprise commercial business, consumers its own thing. To make cute paintings of yourself as Picasso, that's not what we're talking about here necessarily. We're talking about how does GE help rail infrastructure be more effective? So in actual enterprise type businesses, how do you actually use AI in a way that's effective? So what does Databricks have that gives it an advantage? It has an incredibly high level of security. So actually in our work with them, for what you asked earlier, those highly regulated industries who worked heavily on pushing them down the security pipe because you need that to work with financial services, healthcare, public sector, et cetera. So they have the security that you need. They have the data governance. So they allow you to control those data sets. So one of the big concerns with AI is control. Do I know what I'm getting? Is there leakage of data? How can I integrate my own proprietary data that I don't want everyone to see or have access to into these models to make the best decisions for me, my business, which isn't the same as everybody else's. Those things are all capabilities that Databricks allows. And most importantly, it's enterprise ready. 
because Databricks has been selling to the Fortune 500 for a long time. So you can go and use it now. Now, the use of AI in enterprises is still very early. How is it going to be used? How is it going to be effective? How are we going to train real decision makers in a business to smartly deploy this? The reason, again, and that democratized piece of Databricks, that open piece of Databricks's business approach is so powerful is because it allows for whatever solutions win the day in whatever industry, at whatever enterprise, for whatever business user in whatever sector of a business, you can use it through Databricks. So they don't have to bet on which specific solution is going to win. They can bet on the solution of AI that may play itself out through this or that or this or that, all of which you can use on Databricks. So those are the two key foundational things. One, that enterprise readiness, that security, that governance, that provenance, and also the ability to come to them as it figures itself out. You don't have to go anywhere but Databricks. Databricks will be ready for whatever the ultimate winner of the day is there. And then in regards to how AI benefits the business, now that we have these market leaders in artificial intelligence, at least people becoming more brand aware, Are they working with these companies in order to help go to market with their software? So yes, Databricks has approached the AI marketplace as being a marketplace. So these competitors, like they've done in all other respects with their data analytics tools and things, they want you to be able to use all kinds of AI. So as an example, what Databricks has released is their AI platform or solution model, their large language model, LLMs that everybody's hearing about that drive AI usage and analytics called Dolly, but you don't just need to use Dolly. You can use lots of other models. So they have hundreds of data sets in their marketplace for any customer to use, many of which, if not the vast majority, which do not belong to Databricks. And they have hundreds of those models already in existence. So that has really been their approach. The other thing that Databricks has been approaching the marketplace as is they've been positioning themselves as the way for enterprises to safely and effectively use these many other solutions and things on the marketplace that they have and on the broader marketplace as they wish. And that's because what AI struggles with or is trying to figure out in real time is how to integrate proprietary data of these companies in a safe way that gives them insights that aren't based on other people's hallucinations or distortions and are actually meaningful for their business that they can rely upon. So the data provenance, how can they govern that data and how it's used and who has access to it? Those are all pieces that most AI applications don't have and arguably don't have the skill set to do and shouldn't do. So partnering with someone like Databricks allows you to add that layer to your solution set so that together, driving Databricks revenue and these AI model and application revenue, you can go to a customer and sell together and they're willing to use it in their real day-to-day enterprise businesses. And then when you think of their strategy around the democratization of data access, are there others taking, I guess, the opposite approach in that perhaps things are less open sourced or there's less data sets available and they're trying to be more focused and perhaps just no more of a niche operator in the space? Yes, there are. I think there are many, many companies that go about their business models saying, you need to use us and not others in order to be effective. And hey, we can do everything. A great example for listeners, although it's a totally different business, is if you think about the decisions that Microsoft and Amazon have made in being very open platforms, or Apple and Oracle in being more closed platforms. So Apple has its consumer marketplace, 
but we all know you can only use one plug for your Apple devices. Whereas with Microsoft, you can use lots. If you're on Oracle, you have to use their software and platform, which really frustrates many, many customers and why some of them have shifted away from Oracle. Customers want that ability to adjust, that ability to maneuver. We hear the word hybrid cloud rather than just cloud nowadays, because people want to be able to be on multiple clouds and use the value of each of those, which are different, even if they're different on the margins that can have a big impact on your decision making. They want to be able to use what they need when they need it for what they're trying to achieve. So instead of a lot of companies take this approach that I'm about to elaborate quickly here, where you have to buy our infrastructure because it's so fantastic and our solution because it's so fantastic, and then adjust your decision-making and needs to this infrastructure and platform. Databricks' approach is, no, 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 that makes no sense for a business. You have these things you need to accomplish as a business. We allow you to do that because you don't have to adjust to us because we already have all of those adjustments and tools and options already built in. And I think over time, most of these companies will ultimately be marketplace-driven companies if they're smart about it, in my opinion, because it's very hard to stay very long-term a closed platform. By the way, with Apple, they're now being regulated out of being a closed platform, right? In Europe and other places, they're not allowed anymore in a lot of situations. And then the other key piece here is that scale matters. So I think, Zach, underlying some of your question is, can some of these other ones compete with Databricks or become big enough as Databricks because they're taking this different approach that might have more appeal? I think it will be very hard for those different companies and startups to achieve that. Because in this world, and particularly for what Databricks is doing, that scale component is massive. You need that broad reach. And being data-specific or application-specific just is not appealing and doesn't work. Like all of us, we want our choices. So I think it would behoove anyone trying to build up a company of that nature to think through that when they're architecting their solution. Yes, make what you're building amazing and the thing that everybody wants first and foremost, but don't do that to the exclusion of integration with the other things that people also want for very good reason. And then questions related to your experience as an investor in the business. What could be potential governors on the growth of the business that you think are something that you need to be considerate of? Where do they go from here? And what does that trajectory mean? So we always thought it would be a multi-billion dollar company. Did we think it would become a 50-something billion dollar company? I don't think anyone on these early days, Sinewave and we were in Databricks so early that you couldn't have predicted that size of things at the end of the day. Or you could have predicted AI and how that would accelerate the business as its next phase that's just coming on board now to make it even bigger than it already is. So that is new. I think that the risk they have with continuing that upward trajectory is, one, making sure that they maintain this democratizing ethos and integrate effectively those new solutions that can be on their platform so that there's never a choice you don't want to have to choose Databricks versus someone else. And that's what Databricks enables. And they've always been ahead of Snowflake and others on this. They enable you to have your choice and they need to continue doing that. AI has always been around, but this new generation of AI is really, really exciting and driving adoption even faster. There will be something after that. And Databricks needs to be able to adjust and add that security and understanding of customers that these tools don't always have. So tools are great, but you need to understand the customers and create solutions and add the key elements to that solution that aren't just that particular tool of data analytics, but adds things like security and provenance and other things to it. Scalability, cost savings and efficiency. 
So those are things that Databricks really needs to stay ahead of the curve on. Luckily, they've always had that ethos, and that's one of their big strengths. I think at the end of the day, if they allow everybody to come into the pool, we don't have to worry about if the pool is going to exist and continue growing. And so that's what's so exciting about Databricks, why everyone's anticipating the IPO and why they've grown so quickly and so big. So our concluding question is typically lessons that can be borrowed from studying and being involved with this business and applied for those building new businesses and also investors who are evaluating comparable businesses in some way, shape, or form. And so what are your key takeaways when you look back on the business that you invested in here and then also the way that they navigated the growth and continued growth and ultimately the plans to come public? Yeah, there were a few key lessons learned at Databricks that maybe some people don't know about. Like any company, Databricks also had its bumps along the way. And it's always the ability to navigate those bumps intelligently that gets you to where you need to be. So I think the first major thing that you learn from Databricks is, and we've always had this at Signway, but some VCs and investors aren't as comfortable with it. Revenue is important, always. And we care about companies generating revenue and having a business model that generates revenue. But that doesn't have to be where you are on day one. It doesn't even have to be where you are on day 10, as long as you can get there by day 20. So this bottoms-up approach of building this sticky community, these getting the top developers at the top enterprises to start to use this solution because it was just so impactful for them and so focused, gave them their business even before they had any revenue, which is why when they opened the gates, it went so quickly to a hockey stick. And I think that's something that investors should start to get more comfort with. That stickiness and those network effects that you spoke about, Zach, are so important. The second piece is Databricks is a platform that applies to everything, but they needed to move and every company needs to move from technology to product to solution. So the technology was Spark's open source solution. The product was Databricks's proprietary version of that with its unique additional capabilities that made it faster and more effective and more reliable. And then the solution was a piece that Databricks didn't realize as early on. At about I'd say about six years ago, maybe, they started to focus on specific verticals, recognizing that although they applied to all customers, targeting vertical by vertical in a smart way could get them even faster growth. So they started with healthcare, industrial, and public sector. So we helped them build public sector from scratch, but they also started moving on these other verticals, which we and others helped them with. And that got them even faster growth and traction. And then they were able to move to manufacturing and they were able to move to the next vertical. They could always work in any of those verticals, but by tailoring it more so that those sets of customers could understand Databricks in their context better, it made adoption quicker. So that's part of that getting customers who are used to their old ways to adopt. It's getting to the solution set that has more specificity for a customer. I think that startups and investors would be smart to do that early on in the development of businesses because that is really how you scale quickly. And then the last one, as we've talked about throughout this discussion, is just staying on top of the curve and keeping that open infrastructure. So Databricks has to add its unique sauce to everything it does, and it does do that. It has an incredibly successful engineering team that continues to innovate and grow but it doesn't think it can do everything. And it doesn't expect you as a customer to choose to only use Databricks. It knows that there are other things out there. 
but that it can add value to all of those things. And it can add value to you as a customer by helping you use all of those different solutions through Databricks in a better way. And that recognition is really important. There are so many startups and companies that think they can do it all on their own because they've done it so long all on their own and believe that being ingrained and not opening up the floodgates to other partners and players is the way to go at it. And those ultimately struggle. It by default keeps you behind the innovation curve and you ultimately get displaced. As we saw with Cloudera, as I think we're seeing with a little bit of elements of Microsoft, Amazon, and Snowflake, and we will, I would argue, see with OpenAI and others. And the good news for SineWave and others who are invested in it is that I think the person overtaking all of those is Databricks itself, which positions them very well for their ultimate exit for its early stage investors. Well, Yanni, this was a fantastic crash course on a business, I think, that is going to become increasingly recognized amongst not just private tech investors, but the public markets and the broader investment and software universe. We thank you for your time. Thanks, Zach. It was great being here. To find more episodes of Breakdowns ranging from Costco to Visa to Moderna, or to sign up for our weekly summary, check out joincolossus.com. That's J-O-I-N-C-O-L-O-S-S-U-S dot com. 